welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go I will go, and where you lodge I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. It's a joy to be with you all again. I think it's been a few years since we were last here. 
and it brings us such happiness to see how well Eric and Tasha and their family are doing. And in 3 John, John says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in the truth. And I'm not quite old enough to be his dad, but uh, spiritual children bring us great joy. Now, you can probably tell by the way I dressed that I'm a boomer, I'm a baby boomer. Um, and uh, actually, Eric pointed at this and says, what's that, Jim? And I said, it's a tie, Eric. But he meant what was this particular symbol on my tie. I think it's a preacher or something like that. Another indication, do you preach with an iPad? Okay, so I actually use paper notes as well. But something that I have that I actually treasure is I have Spurgeon's handwritten notes from some of his sermons that I have displayed in my office. If you do it on an iPad, there's going to be nothing. Uh, nothing for the future, no relics uh, from our ministries. I love the book of Ruth, and it's a great joy to share just a little bit of it with you. And I'll start just by asking some questions, and that would be, have you ever thought, my life just isn't really turning out the way I expected it to? You may even look back and say, you know, there's some decisions I made five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I really made some bad decisions. And I feel like I kind of made a wrong turn on the highway of life and I can't get back on where I think I should have been. Perhaps you've made foolish choices and you've, you've regretted those. Or perhaps just you've, things have gone hard for you. Carolyn and I were driving up here from San Diego this morning and being back in this area, you have bittersweet memories. There's some very happy memories, but there are also some sad memories. I know Eric at one time talked about having two mentors, and one of them fell away in a, an awful way, so I'm the last man standing. But there are very sad and hard things, and for those of us who believe in a sovereign God, the hard things in some ways can be harder. An atheist shouldn't have a problem of evil because we live in a world of chance, and just some people are lucky and some people aren't, but we have a sovereign God. And contrary to what some people may think, Almost all of us, almost all scholars would acknowledge the main character in the book of Ruth is not Ruth, nor is it Boaz. The main character in the book of Ruth is Naomi. And even from the reading we just had, uh, the book of Ruth is about redemption. And Naomi needs redemption. That's what the whole book is about. And even as we read, poor Naomi, where she had gone to Moab with her husband and her two sons, and her husband dies, then her son dies, and in the context of their life in the Old Covenant, uh, that is a very hopeless situation because if there are no children, then your family is blotted out from the nation of Israel forever. The land, which is your part of the inheritance and the kingdom of God, goes to other relatives and the name of your family is blotted out. And so Naomi's in this most awful position, and she's tempted to be embittered against God as she's grieving over the hard things in her life. But there's a broader context, and this is in the days of the judges. Were those like the good old days? Could, don't we wish we could go back to those days? No, those were really rotten days. You see, Naomi needed redemption, but Naomi is really a picture of the nation of Israel. Israel needed redemption. And if you've read the book of Judges, they're getting beat up by every nation all around them. And when they're not getting beat up by other nations, they're beating up each other. There's all kinds of wickedness in the nation. There's failure of leadership. And so 
Israel is in desperate need of redemption. And to give you a hint of what's coming, by the way, I do have notes for this, I just didn't give them to you. Does anybody know what the last word in the book of Ruth is? The last word in the book of Ruth is David. God is working through this seemingly ordinary little family in this little town of Bethlehem. Redemption, not just for the family and for Naomi, but the Lord is working redemption for Israel in that out of Ruth and out of Naomi's family is going to come ultimately the king who will make Israel great and who will bring them together in a wonderful way. Even And of course, there's one more aspect of this. Of course, that's pointing ahead to a world that needs redemption. And we're like Naomi, we're like Israel. And as Israel needed a David, we need the son of David, Christ. So that's the big picture of what's going on in the book of Ruth. And, and God is bringing hope and God is bringing redemption to his people. As Eric kind of mentioned, when I, I, I love Old Testament narrative. And when I'm in Old Testament narrative, especially, there are three things I want to do. I want to explain what's going on because they lived in a different world from us. Then I want to say, how does this apply to us today? Is we're God's people today, they were God's people in the past, we're under different covenantal structures, but our lives are like their lives. And I think even as you see, you have a woman who's been touched by tragedy. We have widows today and widowers today and people who have gone through economic disaster today. And so we too, and by the way, we too have been tempted at times in our lives to be embittered against God because things have gone hard for us. Then the third thing I want to do, and this is, I got to admit, kind of low-hanging fruit in this passage, in this book, is show how it points to Christ. In Luke 24, Jesus went through the Old Testament and showed how all of the Old Testament points to him. And so that's what I'm going to try to do today. And I'm going to focus on the last part of the chapter where Naomi makes her entrance into Bethlehem. And in verse 19, Naomi comes in. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. When they'd come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And I don't know each of you well, but there are probably people today who feel a bit like Naomi. Life has been tough. You lost your business in COVID. You've had problems paying for your house. Interest rates have gone up and ruined your plans. Uh, you've had family difficulties. Family members have turned from the Lord. We, difficulty is part of life. And as Naomi comes, she's had a hard life. Uh, the book begins with a famine in the land. And the famine is so awful, she and her husband decide to go to Moab. And the language in verse 4, they wanted to sojourn. Sojourn means like go there for a little while. And yet they wind up spending 10 years there. Actually, I regard myself as a citizen of Texas. I even have my Texas socks on today. And I came for a sojourn to California to go to seminary that I expected last two or three years. We were here for almost 30. But as Naomi comes into town, you know, the women are whispering, is this Naomi? And an analogy in our lives would be, if any of you have gone like, to a high school reunion, your 10th, 20th, 30th reunion, and you see each other and you say, you haven't changed a bit. And then you whisper, the, the years have not been kind to her. <laughs> well, the years have not been kind to Naomi. I think she's wearing it on her face. 
And she, she says in verse 20, no longer call, Naomi means cheerful. It says, call me Mara, which means bitter. It's like her first stop is going to be the DMV to get a name change. Usually in the Bible, name changes are upgrades. This is going to be a major downgrade. But interestingly, she's never called that through the rest of the book. And I'll give you another hint. So I'm giving everything away, just like when I passed out the notes. But chapter 4 has Naomi holding a baby. And chapter 4 has Naomi actually holding, and they say a son has been born to Naomi. And so she doesn't see all the good things God is about to do. So that name doesn't stick. But again, many of us have times, you know, the, the term used now is depression. Most depression is really ordinary sadness, like Naomi had. She's lost a lot. And she says, I went out full, but now I've come back empty. For a woman to have two sons, it seemed like uh, the family line is secure. She had her husband, but now she's lost all of that. Caroline and I can relate in a different way, and it's even hard to talk about, but we've lost three sons. They're still all alive, but they all professed faith when they were younger, and one when he was 19 in 2001, and one when he was about 16 in about 2003, and one when he was 26, and I was trying to figure out what year that was, uh, 2010 or 11, something like that. They turned away from the faith, and that's the hardest thing we have to deal with in life. Uh, something I pray at night when Caroline and I pray together is, Lord, strengthen our faith, because this has been really, really hard for us. So I can have some sympathy for Naomi. She's completely lost hope. She's lost her standing in the community. I left as somebody and I've come back as a nobody. And she's really lost her hope in God. And in depression, I, you know, I will acknowledge that there's some people who have biological things going on that may cause them to feel depressed. But most depression is ordinary sadness. In Genesis 23, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Uh, it's a normal feeling. Depression is not, most depression is not a disease. It's the way God made us that when sad things happen, we feel very sad. You know, maybe children, what's the shortest verse in the New Testament? The, the adults know the answer. Jesus wept. Sadness is not always wrong. It's good to grieve, to weep with those who weep. When you experience great loss, that, that's all right. But sadness can bring temptation. And in the case of Naomi, she is tempted to be bitter against the Lord. And again, part of it is she has reasonably good theology. She says in verse 13, the Lord's hand has gone forth against me. And that's actually accurate. as she knows that God is sovereign. It's like in the book of Job, when he says, should we receive good things from the Lord and not bad things? And he realized even what the devil did ultimately was allowed by God. Uh, it's interesting in verse 21, she also says, the Almighty has afflicted me. And of all the names for God, Almighty is, is stressing God's power. And it's almost like she says, here I am, poor little Naomi, and God is this big bully. There's nothing I can do. I'm helpless. There's nobody to stop him. Again, she has true premise, false conclusion. Now, one thing I would also point out in the context of the book, and in my interpretation of the beginning of the chapter, is there are things Naomi did wrong that have contributed to her trouble. In the Bible, when there was famine and people went to other places and left the promised land, did that go well or badly in the book of Genesis? 
badly every time. When Abraham did it, when Isaac did it, uh, Bethlehem is the house of bread. Also in the Bible, God had promised, this is where the old covenant is different. You know, if we have a famine that doesn't rain, you know, people explain it with weather, ultimately God is sovereign. But in the old covenant, Deuteronomy 28 and other places, God made a promise to Israel that if they were faithful to him, it would rain. Which means if it doesn't rain, what does that imply? That Israel has been in rebellion. They've been sinful. If you read the book of Judges, that was most of the time. And so it wasn't just bad weather, but most people stayed in Bethlehem. They survived. She went to Moab. And what happened there? Well, not only did her husband die, but who did her sons marry? Moabite women. Well, in Deuteronomy 7, the Israelites were told, don't intermarry with the pagan nations around you. They're going to have bad influence on you. And again, we see that all over the Old Testament as well. And so she's embittered against God, but I don't think she recognizes fully that she's contributed some to that. Again, other people in the Bible have been this sad. Uh, Jake, Jacob said when he lost Joseph and other things, says, everything is against me. Uh, Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry, even unto death. And probably of all the people in the Bible, I think Naomi's like Job. She's not just this bitter, old, weak woman. I think she's overwhelmed as Job was emptied of his children and emptied of his property and then his health. And Naomi has been emptied. And actually, the language in one place in Job, he says, the arrows of the Almighty, same word, are within me, their poison my spirit drinks, the terrors of God are arrayed against me, the Almighty has embittered my soul. So it's the same kind of language. And then in the context, Naomi is like Israel. You read the end of the book of Judges, and again, they have to sometimes pay money to sharpen their farming implements. They're not allowed to have weapons. They're whipped up on by the neighbors. Israel is in a desperate position, and yet it's because of their rebellion against God. So often they even turn. And by the way, Naomi herself in verse 15, she says, behold, your sister has gone back to her people and her gods. She sends Orpah and she tried to send Ruth back to the gods of Moab. Now, another thing I would point out, and this is something important for those of us who may struggle with sadness or depression and my wife recently described me as melancholy sometimes, and so that probably means it applies to me, is when you're depressed, sometimes it's like you put on these dark glasses and you don't see the good things that God is doing, you focus on the bad things, and yet there are good things happening, and several of them are recognizable here. And one way I actually have looked at this passage is how would I counsel Naomi if I got one? And I actually get some Naomi sometimes. And, and one thing here, and you even look in verse 6, it said, the Lord had visited his people and gave them food. In verse 22, there's the beginning of the barley harvest. And so in the context of Bethlehem in those days, it's like you're in this film and it's in a minor key and everything's in black and white and dark. And now it's changed to color. And now there's major key and happy music and the people are out in the field and they're gathering the food. The famine is over. God has been merciful. Even in verse 19, as, as she and Ruth travel and came to Bethlehem, do you think it would have been safe in those days for two women traveling, as far as I know, alone for 60 miles, 100 kilometers, to travel from Moab to Bethlehem? Does that sound like a really safe thing to do in those days? 
you know, bad things happened to women who were traveling. You read the book of Judges, yet God brought them safely back. Uh, also, and this is really so much of the point of the rest of the book, is they're going back now among the covenant people of God and the Lord cares for widows. And God has made provision for widows. And actually the framework for the, next, for the rest of the book of Ruth is what God has said, and it's in Deuteronomy 24 and 25, where God had made provision for widows. It's called gleaning, and that's chapter two, which we're not gonna get to today. But gleaning was a practice that the people in the fields who were gathering the harvest were not allowed to go over the field twice. They weren't supposed to uh, do the corners of the field so that the poor, including widows, could go and gather food. So when she came to Bethlehem, even though she didn't have a man, even though she wasn't working her field, God had made provision that she and Ruth would not starve. And in chapter two, miraculously, they find a godly man in the days of the judges who is happy to allow Ruth to glean on behalf of her and, and Naomi. Of course, another provision God has made is in Deuteronomy 25, and that is that God made a provision that if a man were to die without children, that his widow could marry another man, a near relative, and then the, the first child they would have in this new marriage would actually be regarded like legally as the child of the man who had died, the widow, the, the deceased person, and so his name would continue. That's why at the end of the book it says, Naomi has a son. You know, she didn't bear this child, Obed, but that rather God has now kept the family going. And so God has made provision for the, 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 the calamity that Naomi thinks in the hopeless situation, God has made provision in his law. Now, I would also add that God is just able to do things beyond what we can imagine. And I admit, and that's, by the way, that's chapters three and four, is Boaz, who fed them in chapter two, marries Ruth in chapter three and four. And if you have me back, I've got some really interesting dating principles from chapter three that actually are really fun to talk about. There's, okay, you wanna know what they are, a couple of them? <laughs> What attracted Ruth and Boaz to each other? Do we know what Ruth looked like? We have no idea. What does Boaz say? I want to marry you because you're a woman of excellence. What do we know about Boaz? That he's a man of excellence. I'll give you one more. This extra time. That when Boaz, and I assume you know the book of Ruth, and when Ruth says, come be my kinsman redeemer so we can keep the family going, Boaz says, well, I would love to do that, but there's another guy, okay? I think that has a lot of application. And that is, if you're out, guys, single guys, with a woman, there may be somebody else who's gonna marry her, not you, therefore you need to behave. That you need to respect the rights of others. If you're not married to this person yet, Boaz respected, even though he wanted Ruth, he did not take Ruth, because another man had a right to Ruth. And you only get that right when you marry. And I was told this by one of my mentors, that when you go out with a girl, high school, college, you may be dating your future best friend's wife. And so respect the right of the future husband. I'll stop there, there are more, but uh, back to chapter one. So God has made provision. And then when, Ro when Naomi says, I have come back empty, I, have some, I feel sorry for Ruth, right? I mean, like she's right there. You know, and, and, and she's not come back alone. Ruth is there and she's going to share the burden. Ruth is going to, she's going to be the one to go out gleaning. She's going to be the one who has the baby, by the way. 
this is amazing. And this is, you know, when 1 Timothy 5 says that we care for our widows and our family, she's an amazing example of this. And even beyond that, God has saved this Moabite woman. And, you know, sometimes at weddings we'll read, where you go, I will go, and your people will be my people, your God, my God. That's not two people getting married. That's Ruth. When, and by the way, Naomi is like the worst evangelist in history. Have you thought about that? She says, go back to your people and to your gods. And that's essentially say, go to a very hot place. And, and Ruth says, I'm not going to do it. And in chapter 2, Boaz recognizes that she has taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. Um, God can use really bad evangelists. Actually, I'll tell you a brief story that when I was in high school, I was a young Christian. There was this guy who wanted to be my friend. And I basically said, if you want to be my friend, you have to become a Christian because I don't have time to be around non-Christians. I don't recommend that as a methodology. <laughs> but he started coming to church with me and God saved him. And now, 50 years later, we're still friends. And he has the Bible I gave him, like in 1974. God does amazing things. Naomi was no better than I was. God has, has saved her. And also, God can bring good out of the calamities experienced by his people. When, when you're depressed, everything just seems to be worst case. It's never going to happen. And in Jeremiah 29, when the Lord is speaking, Israel's about to get sent into exile, seems as bad as it can possibly be. Babylonians are wiping them out. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And as we're the covenant of people go to, of God today, that applies to us, not that we're going to possess land or be rich, but Romans 8.28, that God is at work doing all things together for good for all of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. And God is merciful. God is merciful even when our own sin has contributed to our troubles. God is merciful to sinners and shows kindness to them. And if you didn't get that before, when you see Naomi in the end, bitter Naomi, who's saying bad things about God, who made bad decisions to go to Moab and to marry her sons off to pagan women, at the end, God still has Naomi holding a baby, who is the hope of her family and the hope of Israel. The Lord is working out his plan. And of course, again, bigger picture, Israel is oppressed and God is working out his plan for Israel, right in the middle of this mess, in this little town, in this little family. And God is working out his plan for redemption of all those who will be his people in the future. God is bringing us, you know, you know, Ruth's in the line of David. And God is bringing forth David to, through him, there will come the Savior of the world that doesn't deserve it either. So, that's the story. How do we apply this? How do you... And some of you, maybe you're married to someone who's melancholy, someone who is, or just goes through times of depression, goes through times of sadness. For some of us, it's how we talk to ourselves. And I think one aspect would be we need to have compassion for those who are suffering that way. The proverb says, the spirit of man can endure his sickness, but it's for a broken spirit who can bear it. The sadness of a child who turns away the sadness of a child who passes away, the sadness of the loss of a business or a relationship or 
you know, all the things that happen in life. Romans 12, 15 says, we're to be a people who weep with those who weep. And there's also a proverb about someone who sings songs on a, on a sad day is like, you know, oil and vinegar, it's just nasty stuff. That, and I remember actually when I was younger and I would be struggling with sadness or depression and somebody said, just be happy, rejoice in the Lord, everything's great. It's like, you know, that's just not appropriate for me right now. That, that doesn't make me feel any better. And then the proverb actually warns against it. We need to care for those who are in need is another aspect, not only, I mean, spiritually to care for them, materially as well. James 1, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress. I think when things really go badly, we need to watch ourselves. We can be tempted to be embittered against God. Again, our theology makes us realize ultimately the hard things that have happened have been allowed by God and even planned by God for his purposes. And sometimes we can be tempted, and I even hate to say the words, but it's just true. If you're angry about what's happening to you, you're really struggling with anger against God, and that's a dangerous place. The psalmist in Psalm 73 says, My feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. It's because he was upset at seeing the prosperity of the wicked, and how the righteous seem to be losing all the time. And we have to be careful uh, about our, our feelings and expressing. Like even says, I lay my hand on my mouth. That's what Job had to say in the end. There are thoughts some of us struggle with. We have to fight with truth. I'll just say a word too about depression, sadness. The Bible actually gives several examples of people who are sad. And I think sometimes we tend to categorize everything in our experience and we don't understand the breadth of the struggles that people have. Like if, if the saddest you've been, like I met with a guy yesterday who committed immorality, actually, and, and he's sad and he's broken. And David in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, you know, he described when, when he was in sin and unrepentant, God's hand was heavy upon him and he was miserable. But if somebody is sad, that doesn't necessarily mean they killed somebody or committed adultery. In Psalm 42, the psalmist is describing life has been hard, that he remembers when he was with the people of God, and he, he remembers better times, and now he's far from the people of God. And he says, why are you in despair, O my soul? And it's, it's not because he did something wrong. Uh, he's lost a lot. A lot of sadness is due just to, to loss. But then when that happens, we have to fight the fight of telling ourselves the truth. And I will add that some people, and I have medical doctor friends who are biblical counselors who have helped me to understand these things, while most depression is probably due to spiritual causes, there are some people who may have things going on. And I think we have to be humble dealing with other people about this and not say, well, who did you kill? Or you know, why are you not trusting God? I think people can experience overwhelming sadness that there may not be an identifiable spiritual cause. A uh, question people say, well, what about medication? Well, I think most people can be helped spiritually if there's a spiritual cause, and I would always try to help someone that way. But I also believe that medication is a matter of Christian freedom, and I can't tell anybody you're not allowed to take that. Medication, when it works, does nothing more than address the symptoms of the problem when it works, which is a minority of the time, but you're free to do that, and I don't, you know, I don't want you to suffer any more than is necessary, but it doesn't deal with the cause, especially when the cause is spiritual. And even if the cause is biological, it, it can maybe reduce the symptoms, but it can't 
solve the problem. And I would also say that even someone who may have overwhelming feelings of sadness for no known spiritual cause still needs spiritual help because it's really hard to feel that way all the time. And they need compassion and, and understanding. Well, how can we help someone like Naomi? Let's say you were Naomi's friend, and what would you say to her? And uh, first of all, I really wouldn't have liked that job. Depressed people are hard to be around, including myself sometimes. Uh, several years ago, actually when I was still in Escondido, I had a guy, I'll call him Rob, and he had been severely depressed for a couple of years. And the circumstances of his life uh, contributed to this. One aspect was that he had worked very hard for a company for many years and from his standpoint had made the company successful, a small company, and then his boss just let him go out of nowhere. And he wasn't able to find a job that was nearly as well paying or as fulfilling. Not only that, one thing that was really getting him is he felt when he was in his early 20s, and now let's say he's 50, he had said he really felt a call from God to be full-time ministry, probably a missionary. And instead, he got married, got a job, started having kids, and kind of laid that aside. And that's, he had this fundamental thought, I made a wrong turn in life 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and God is done with me. That there's, there's no hope for me because I, I messed up. And, you know, there's just, I just have to kind of live out my years. Rob is sad all the time. He's grumpy. He has overwhelming regrets about the past. And yet, he also knows the Bible pretty well. He's actually been a lay leader in his church. What can you say to the guy? And there are a lot of different things we can do. And one aspect would be just depressed people, sad people can get distorted views of God like Naomi had. That God is a God of mercy. Psalm 100 verse 5, the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Naomi is tempted to believe God is a meanie. <laughs> She's tempted to deny his goodness and his grace. And one of the biggest problems in counseling is people forget who God really is and they have a wrong idea of God. Another aspect would be to focus on the promises of God, that our trials now are light and momentary compared to the glory yet to be revealed. We, eschatology should be a big help with depression. There can be short-term eschatology is that usually when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you come out of it in this life, but you will come out of it in the next life, and there is hope. And then another aspect is just remembering the goodness of God. Something I did in the story of Naomi with you is told you, you know, she went and she's just so sad and everything's against her and everything's terrible, and yet as you look at the passage, there's food, there's Ruth, there's the law, there's the promises of God, there's provision, there are a lot of reasons uh, for her to be hopeful. And one thing I, I appreciate in the Psalms, and I think there's a pattern there that can help us, is when things are really bad in the Psalms, often the psalmist will go back and remember God's fa past faithfulness, God's past deliverances, and that can encourage us in the present. They often go back to Egypt. I mean, if anything looked hopeless, it's being enslaved to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but God delivered us then, and if he could do that, he can deliver us again, and he will. Uh, Psalm 77, verse 11. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Uh, 78, uh, 11, it even says, uh, Israel got in trouble. It says they forgot his deeds and the miracles he had shown them. 
He wrought wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the, in the field of Zion. And so when we're very sad, when everything seems to be against us, like with Naomi, I think it's really good to remember, like you're having economic troubles now, you're concerned about a loss of a job, but most of us have a history of God's faithfulness we can go back on and say, when things were really bad before, the Lord helped us. When I was hurt, when I was lonely, when I felt useless, when there was difficulty, God has in the past brought me through that. And because he cares for me, I have hope in the present. I think also, and this is something actually I do for myself, and I, I tried to do it for Naomi's with the passage, is Naomi's all sad. And I said, well, like, what are six reasons why Naomi should be thankful? Uh, God is the giver of every good gift, James says. And, and what are the good things God is doing for you? And Sometimes I will just write down a list of why should I be thankful? How has God blessed me? Because sometimes I can get so focused on the things that are hard, and it's not a denial they are hard, that I fail to remember how Christ has blessed me spiritually, materially, relationally, in other ways. Uh, sometimes I, I do, Carol and I do a lot of counseling with pastors and their wives, and one thing about being a pastor for many pastors is criticism really hurts. And I was with a guy yesterday, and he describes angry emails he gets sometimes. And I like, during COVID, pastors were taking it from both sides. Half the people thought by meeting the way you were, you were trying to kill them, and half the people thought you were compromising because you were wearing masks or meeting outside, and everybody's mad at you. And it can be discouraging. People leave, people complain, grumbling. It's tough for Moses too. And I'll say, but look at those in whom God, whose lives God is working. Think about the people who have come, have joined, have been baptized, who believe. Think about the ways God has worked. And actually, when Carol and I were driving up and we were kind of sad remembering people we poured our lives into that are not doing well, we thought of Eric. Look where we're going today, where God has been faithful. And there is fruit, even if not everything we would have ever hoped or dreamed of. And then you got these little cards. I've made several of these counseling cards. Actually, my comment, I've been doing biblical counseling since the, well, really since the 80s, but I've been doing it more formally since the 90s. And we used to give people books for homework, and then they didn't read the books. And then we wrote little mini books. They still don't read those. Now I've created some cards. <laughs> um, and that, that does seem to work. <laughs> people do read the cards. Um, and this is just one of them that you got passed out to you. And this is actually in the, I talked about Rob. And with Rob, he, he knew the Bible pretty well. I gave him an assignment, which is, Rob, I want you to write down the lies that you're tempted to believe and then the answers from the Bible to those lies. And I actually took him through some of the story of Naomi because Rob and Naomi were just very, very similar. And... Actually, part of this I get from John 8, 44, where we're told that Satan is a murderer and a liar. And Satan tries to get us to believe lies that will then destroy us spiritually. And we have to be prepared to answer those lies with truth. And by the way, this is true not just for sadness, it's true for many other problems people have. People who are, you know, the person who's tempted to be drunk believes the lie that that's going to relieve his stress and make him feel better. The person who's tempted to sexual immorality, you know, they're believing lies. And so but focusing here on, on someone who's very sad. So both Rob and Naomi were tempted to believe God is against me. 
because all these bad things have happened to me. And yet we already read one of the verses I have on there. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him give us all things? The truth is God is giving me good gifts. Oh, my situation is hopeless. You know, for Naomi, I could never have a child, never would my name would continue. Rob also, you know, I'm just going to never accomplish anything in life. But God is the God of hope. He is the God who does, I've already quoted Jeremiah 29, that his plans for us are good. Romans 8, 28, uh, even Ephesians 2, 10, that God saved you, having planned for you to do good works to his glory. And so he still has, if you're still alive, he still wants you to do more of that. And he, he's going to make that happen. I am all alone. There's no one else. You know, Naomi, here I am, just me, with Ruth right there. No, first of all, he, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even when you were in the valley of the shadow of death, he is still with you. His rod and his staff comfort you. And he's with you, not lying down there, but you're moving. Not as fast as you'd like, but you don't lie down there. He's with you. Oh, I just can't live without what I desire. I must have grandchildren. I must have a wife. I must, you know, Rob, I must, you know, have the job I lost and all the things I wanted to do. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 and 6, you know, or say, if you trust in men, you'll be like the bush in the desert. It says, but if you trust in God, you'll be like what? The tree planted by water that bears fruit in its season. Even the year of drought, its leaves remain green. Sometimes God takes away the earthly things we thought we needed so that we could learn how to be completely dependent upon him as never before. I've ruined my life by my sin. Naomi, I don't even realized her sin. Rob had some sense of sin in his life, sinful anger and other things. But God is merciful. I love Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thought. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion and he will abundantly pardon. God holds his arms out like the father of the prodigal son. The, the word in that, the two words in that passage mean so much. One is compassion. Even though I'm the one who messed up, he has compassion for me. And part of it is even self-inflicted pain hurts, right? When we do sinful or foolish things, but when we return to him, he has compassion on us like the father and prodigal son. And then his pardon is abundant. So no, if you turn to the Lord, your life isn't ruined. My life is unfair. It's just so hard. Things happen against me. Quite frankly, if you understood that you're chief of sinners and you've received mercy, you realize I'm glad life's not fair. I'm glad I get far better than I deserve. God has been merciful to me. Yes, he may chastise me, but he treats me better than I deserve. He is just. God doesn't care. That's also the temptation. Again, he did not spare his own son. Obviously cares about you. you know, in Matthew 6, he says, you know, if God cares about the birds and the fields, you know, you're his children, O you of little faith. Of course he's going to care for you as you seek his kingdom. And then the last one is, I'm no good. Okay, that's not a lie. That's actually true. <laughs> but as the chief of sinners, as Philippians 3.9 says, I have a righteousness not of my own derived from keeping the law, but the righteousness which comes from God by faith. And even though I am chief of sinners, 
and Caroline was talking to somebody yesterday who had done something really wrong, a, a woman who'd done something unfaithful against her husband. And she says, I'm just having so much trouble forgiving myself. And I want to be polite because I know that that's indicating guilt, but quite frankly, forgiving yourself is not in the Bible. Often people say, I just can't forgive myself because they think, well, I'm really better than that. How can I be a person who committed immorality or had an abortion or, you know, cheated or lied or whatever? Well, we are very great sinners. Our only hope of righteousness is not, it's not to forgive ourselves, it's is great sinners to admit how great our sin is, that we cannot be saved by our works, and to trust in the righteousness of Christ given to us as a gift. Our goodness is in Him alone. So, one other aspect of this, and it would tie into Philippians 4, where he says, whatever is good and true and right and honorable, dwell on these things, that we can choose what we think about, even when we're struggling. Your, your mind isn't just on autopilot and gonna crash on its own. I love what Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book on spiritual depression said about the struggle with depression. He says, we need to stop listening to ourselves and we need to start talking to ourselves. And that's based on Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 where the psalmist you know, gives his complaint, then he reminds himself of God. And then he gives his complaint and reminds himself. We need to remind ourselves of the truth to answer the lies. And it requires effort, but the Lord will help us. So, if sometimes when life is hard, you're tempted like Naomi to feel like everything is against you, and as a Christian to realize if everything against me, I'm really thinking in terms of God being against me, that's a lie. That God has proven through Christ that he is for you. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Is God redeemed a hopeless family in Israel by sending a kinsman redeemer, Boaz, by giving a son that the family's name would continue even to this day? And as God redeemed Israel when they were hopeless and oppressed to bring a great king to conquer their enemies and to make Israel a great nation? So God, most of all, is a world full of sin and death, has sent a greater redeemer than Boaz, a greater redeemer than David, to give spiritual bread to his people, even as we'll think of in terms of the Lord's Supper. God visited his people with bread. God has visited his people in the coming of his son, and therefore we have hope. We have redemption. We were no more able to redeem ourselves than Naomi was but God has shown his love for us by giving redemption. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even in the stories of the Old Testament, your mercy and grace, your redemption is shown. We confess that we, like Naomi, often have a very weak faith, that we, like Naomi, sometimes are tempted to think wrong thoughts of you, and yet we are thankful for your mercy. We're thankful for your mercy to this family, to Israel, and ultimately to the world that you're a God who redeems, and you're a God that even when we have messed everything up, that you can still help and redeem us even out of that. I pray, Lord, if there are people today who came in here feeling like Naomi, that you would give them hope in you and comfort in you, that they could recognize the goodness and redemption you offer in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.